Welcome back to Rotten Rewind, podcast where we dig through the archives of Rotten Tomatoes and take a look back at movies that were unfairly maligned ahead of their time or sadly misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Courtney Peranto. I'm Max Rue. It's our third episode. Um, thanks for... I know. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if you had to say like the theme for this episode, wh- like what did you have it as? Like 1999 hated women? I thought you said that. Oh. Did we both decide? Maybe we I both think came we up both on that decided together. that. And we did we have even credit. more movies, but then we realized that 1999 hated women so much it would have to be more than one episode? I feel like there was more. No, it wasn't. I mean, most years hate women, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, this year just happened to hate some very specific women that wanted to do things maybe a little darker, I guess. Yeah. So um, there are two teen movies, you would say? Yeah. Like high school movies? Yeah. Yeah. I would say they're, they're aimed at teens. They were targeted for the teenage demographic. <laughs> well, I think it was like, because 1999 is kind of looked at as like one of the biggest years in general movie for movies. Years. And There's I think even a book out about it, right? There was a book called yeah. 1999 is the greatest movie year ever. Um, I mean, it's a pretty like, it's a pretty big year. I mean, you had, you had Fight, um, Club. Fight Club, Magnolia. Um, the Wood. The Wood, Three Kings, The Insider, Michael Mann's The Insider, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. The Sixth Sense and The Matrix. So you had like big movies like that. You had The Blair yeah. Witch Project, which kind of like. Oh, shit. <laughs> a bunch of new horror movies. But yeah, and then you had like all these big teen movies. So you had, I think it's kind of like the Clueless effect where it was like Clueless yeah. was 95. And I, it's like kind of post Clueless, post Scream world. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Like movies that mm-hmm. were obviously like teen movies were popular, but those two, I think, kind of. I think more well, ju- I think that Clueless and Scream were two movies too that like even though they were about teenagers and maybe even like anticipated a teenage audience, they definitely were seen by everybody. Yeah, they were very they're very self aware and 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 kind of self referential and and um, witty. Yeah, where I don't think that like my parents ever <laughs> cared to go see like She's All That or even on, I know what you did last summer, but they definitely right. both <laughs> saw Scream and Clueless because they were their resonance was just so humongous. You know, you had not only like teen slasher movies kind of making mm-hmm. a big comeback but then you also had especially in 1999 you had 10 things i hate about you which was wow. definitely because of clueless kind of another modern update of what is it updating again it's updating shakespeare's the taming of the shrew thank you mm-hmm. yes <laughs> but yeah so we had so you had 10 things i hate about you you had also the beginning of the year in the same like two weeks man you had varsity blues and she's all that which were both pretty big like she's all that especially was a oh, yeah. big itch no one i think saw coming also especially not- freddie prince jr he did not see that coming. <laughs> he didn't see any of this coming. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> so you had both of those. I was, um, fuck, how old was I? I was 10 years old. I was in middle school. Yeah, I, I remember 10. that my mom wouldn't let me go to like a New Year's Eve party um, <laughs> because I was, oh, this fits with one of our movies. I was friends with a girl that lived in like a manufactured home and my mom decided that was like bad news. To be fair, I think Heather was kind of fucked up, <laughs> but I was not allowed to go so i will always remember how old i was yeah that was that was i mean it was a big year for me i think just as far as like i was watching a lot of mtv that was the year that limp biscuit really really blew up which was a very <laughs> big personal thing for me uh that was the year limp biscuit blew up a boat on trl oh my uh, god did that spring break yeah incredible so what movies are we talking about today we're talking yeah <laughs> we're talking about drop dead gorgeous and jawbreaker they're two comedies that are a little darker kind of they're murdery they're murdery let's get into it every year in the small town of mount rose minnesota 
A special competition takes place. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women libbers might say. They might say that a pageant is old fashioned and demeaning to the girls. No, I think you boys are gonna find something a little bit different here in Montrose. Ouch! <laughs> but for two ambitious girls. I believe this pageant teaches you what's really important in life. I dream of getting out of Mount Rose. I mean, guys get out of Mount Rose all the time for hockey scholarships. Or prison. Directed by Michael Patrick Jan. Not someone that's like a household name. Yeah, not a household name. His only feature, but when I was kind of looking him up, because I was like, well, how did he land this movie and how did he get right. all these people? He's oh, one it of looked the like he, he did the state, right? Yeah, he's one of the founding members of the state. Also, Thomas Lennon is the narrator behind the camera. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't. Re I was like, that voice sounds super familiar. But yeah, yeah so Lennon. he did that and he worked on Reno 911 too. And like once I learned that, the movie made more sense to me. Right. And our hero is Kristen Dunst character. That's right. Kirsten Dunst I, plays... I would say that she's the closest thing to like a hero that we have. Yeah, she's the most grounded human being in a way. Yeah. She's yes, definitely yes, like the surrogate there. Amber Atkins, her two idols are her mother, played by and Ellen Diane Barkin. Sawyer. And Diane Sawyer, who was a real beauty pageant uh, contestant. I know. Yeah. Ellen Barkin plays her mother, who's just great. She's yeah. so fantastic. Yeah. But she, I mean, she, she works a good amount. She's on Animal Kingdom. I guess she does a good amount of work, but, you know, definitely not as much as she did in the 90s. And she's just incredible. Her best friend is played by Allison Janney. Who also is... great. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, she's the actress in this movie more than anybody else that I think has, like, accrued the most prestige since this movie has come out. Yeah, definitely the only Oscar? only Academy Award winner. Kind yeah. of winning an Oscar for playing a more prominent, darker version of what she plays in this movie. I was thinking that too. Yeah, so she wins for Itania. Yeah, I love her in that. And then Den Denise Richards is Becky Lehman, and she's sort of the villain. Yes. She's a mean high schooler. She's rich. She's the richest kid in town. Her whole yeah. family is wealthy. Um, her parents are Kirstie Alley. Um, and so who... she looks like Denise Richards. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Denise Richards, like, obviously she's hot. But she kind of looks like a praying mantis. Like she looks like an animal that could like unhinge its jaw and eat you. Yes. She's and very, that works here. Yeah, totally. She's she's also like very 90s hot in a way. And, I don't, and that's not even like a backhanded compliment. So she's obviously no. really pretty, but she's definitely like the epitome of like what I think most guys would find hot in the 90s. Yes. Like her Alicia Silverstone. I think that her Alicia Silverstone and then Tiffany Amber Thiessen are yes. like different points <laughs> of the same triangle. Exactly. Because I think that Denise Richard is like the slutty point to that triangle. Yeah, Kelly Kapowski. I, I have a long-standing theory that if you look anything like a young Tiffany Amber Thiessen, who still looks great, by the way, you mm. will be in the top three of The Bachelor, no matter what. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what you've done and what you will do and what you say. It's like, if you have those cute little, like, cheeks, yeah. you will be, yeah, you will be in the top. That makes sense. But I think Denise Richards and Alicia Silverstone both kind of got fucked. I mean, Alicia Silverstone yeah. kind of making, like, a comeback. She was in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. She was in like a comedy where she kind of is riffing on her character in Clueless. Okay. It's also a beauty pageant movie. I would recommend it. It is somewhere between this and Romeo and Michelle's. Okay. It's good. It's touch in kind of like Dumb and Dumber. It's touching when it's touching. Right. It's good. But I agree with you that like Alisa Silverstone, I mean, I think that Batgirl really killed her career unfairly because it's like, who cares? Who doesn't want to be Batgirl? Yeah. I mean, especially at that time, it was just, she kind of, it, it, she definitely feels like the epitome of one of those younger 
you know, very beautiful actresses whose talent was kind of taking a backseat to her looks because she's super talented mm-hmm. and she's in, like when you watch Clueless, like she's really fucking good in it. Yeah, we can get into this more because I actually think that like the premise of the movie sets up like what you're talking about because I think that the movie is about how you kind of have to be beautiful to be listened to. Then right. once you're listened to, people will stop because you're beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a great way of saying it. And then, you know, coming back to Denise Richards, who's in this movie and who just had a really great run from like 97 to 99. She had Starship Troopers and then she had Wild Things and then she had Dropped at Gorgeous, which are all three cult movies now. And she's really great in all three. Like she kind of knows how to just like find her way into the material really well in a way that I think is kind of underappreciated. And I think I realized like while watching this and Wild Things, because I rewatched Wild Things recently. Oh, I know you did. I did. Um, And it's great. I'm so mad that it's fresh. I mean, I'm glad that people... People get it. Uh, it's incredible. But I think especially in Drop Dead Gorgeous in this where she's really allowed to kind of go over the top and be fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like using her look, I think, to her advantage. And is just so, I think, yes. self-aware of, of what movie she's in. But it kind of does feel like a precursor to like Megan Fox in the late 2000s where it's like you have this really kind of stereotypically beautiful girl. Car wash pretty. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and then you put her in all these big movies and then you kind of spit her out because Hollywood doesn't know what to do with her. Mm-hmm. And they think that she's just a pretty face, even though she's really funny. She's really good in Jennifer's body. Which is rotten, thank God. Yes. But yeah, I feel like there's every generation almost has that actress. Yeah. And I was thinking about this too and about Alicia Silverstone. I don't, I kind of think that Emma Stone was the first and or at least like the the actress that was able to move out of like teenhood Mm -hmm. into like Oscar contender, the the swiftest, like just the easiest. There didn't have to be like a time period that she like went away or kind of took like shitty roles. Like she got to go from easy A and just step up and up and up. And I think she's talented and wonderful and beautiful. But I think that part of that is just sexism slightly loosening its grasp. Like I think that we had to just be like, oh, they're pretty. So they're stupid and not really give attention to like how much it probably takes to to deliver that kind of role. And I think that she was like one of the first ones that just got to seamlessly make the transition. Like like you said, like she's really beautiful. She's really talented. She doesn't quite fit into that box of like, not even, and this isn't even like a backhanded thing, but like basic pretty with like Denise Richards or at least just somewhere somewhere it's like you know the average guy can kind of just be like oh yeah she's hot and get behind her like the average studio executive is gonna you know kind of like fawn over them like Emma Stone's really pretty but she also does have a look that can you know read maybe serious to some of those people and that's a true way. yeah the transition I guess makes sense and also yeah she obviously made good decisions and, and quickly got out of that I it's think that cast. casting Kirstie Alley and you have to remember too that at this time she was in Veronica's Closet a show that I fucking watched right about um, a lingerie mo- mo- so she was like having a comeback moment. So mm-hmm. she's Denise Richards' mom, and she's, she's so to me, she kind of predicts like Sarah Palin in and way, the whole yeah. the whole like reflexive religion of the town itself in Minnesota, like the mm-hmm. small dairy town, does really feel like this era of like republicanism that we get into after this movie that just sort of like reflexive but still incredibly judgmental yeah because there's like a joke in the movie that i remember being part of like the commercial that kirstie alley is explaining the theme of the last like 10 pageants and they're all like amira i can't they're all like usa themed Mm -hmm. and then there's well i should let you talk about her britney murphy's in this movie yes britney murphy (laughs) who i totally forgot was actually in it until i watched it and i also 
also didn't realize Amy Adams was in it because as a kid, when I saw it, Amy Adams wasn't, you know, what she was, you know, seven years after this. Right. And Amy Adams, if you follow her career now, is playing sort of like against, she's the slutty. She's like the horniest. She's not slutty. She has a boy, one boyfriend that she really wants to fuck all the time. And Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah. 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 Like this is a movie where you get to see Amy Adams stroke the Washington Monument. So that's fucking tight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Her whole introduction with her interview when her boy, when she's trying to give her interview and her boyfriend's trying to make out with her and and they start making out on her front lawn is so good. You know, I always watch the pageants on TV and my boyfriend thinks I'll win. For my talent, I'm going to be doing this. Yeah, I'm trying to talk Brittany Murphy, I, I mean, we can talk later about her too. I think we should, you know, kind of talk about a few of the actresses and yeah, yeah, yeah. how great they are. But just, I, I think that like, I always, I liked her growing up. Like I knew she was good kind of thing. But I think especially looking back now, like watching this, watching yeah. Fun or Clueless and a lot of the work she did in the 90s and 2000s, I honestly think she was one of the best actresses we Me too. had. Girl just, yeah, she's consistently great. Even in bad movies, she's always good. And like there yeah. are scenes in this where like, I just couldn't take my eyes off of her. Like, like regardless of what was happening in the scene even her in background moments she's always doing something interesting i think that it is that thing that and i think that women get this more that if it seems effortless then they then people just assume like oh that's how you are so you're not working right i think george clooney gets this and i'm not saying like poor george clooney but like i think like george clooney gets that like Cary grant gets that there's like a certain element of like oh but that's just how they are there's no work in it and i think that what Brittany murphy is doing no one has really done sense very no, like there at least no that her, there's nobody that you can be like uh she's the analog like she walks so this person can run it just feels like we lost Brittany Murphy and we can shape like we can try to make as many people like her but that hole will just always be like left with a question mark because I think that she could have she would have just kept getting better and better Absolutely. probably like got like at this point hopefully she wouldn't be like in Riverdale like hopefully she would actually be like in a, in a great movie and, right to me the same thing as like losing someone like Heath Ledger that young like I think that she would have right. done so many great things and it sucks because like towards even by like the 2000s you know she was doing stuff like 8 Mile but then she also did a lot of kind of rom-coms like Little Black Book and then she had the movie like Uptown Girls. Wait no just Mar- Married is the one I'm thinking of. The Ashton, Ashton Kutcher. Kutcher. Okay. And she's that really one I good like in them. that. She's yeah she's super, really good. They did it. Yeah, she's always charming. She's always fucking in it, like committed. And well, there's something about her too. Like she's so beautiful. Like she has like exaggerated features. She has like enormous like brat yeah. style eyes and like big pouty lips. But despite like how just obviously gorgeous she is, she doesn't. She just is still incredibly like goofy. Yeah. And I don't want to like she. She no always feels like she's yeah like she's about ready to start laughing. Yes. And that makes her like so cute. Yeah. And, especially like, yeah, and magnetic. Yeah. yeah there's like parts where it's like. She's, you can see her like in the background while people are arguing and she just, you can totally like just hone in on her in the scene and just watch her and it, mm-hmm. it will make the scene even funnier. She feels like it completely and like this is maybe not true, but what it comes off as is like a completely like unselfconscious performer. Totally unselfconscious and like especially, and I think the 90s actually produced more of those than we give that era, I think, credit for. Like especially now, I feel like a lot, and I'm sure it's part of like the way that younger like teen actors grow up now, like they're a lot more self-aware yeah um given like social media and things like that and like how they fit into things and like you can tell i think a lot of younger actors are very self-conscious and 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 there's a lot of posturing especially emma roberts 
style. Yeah. The 90s just, I mean, like you had Brittany Murphy, you had Alicia Silverstone, you had someone like Matthew Lillard who was just constantly Oh yeah. fucking giving 110%. Like in Scream, you watch Scream and you're like, this guy is giving an absolutely fucking incredible performance that everyone's going to overlook because it's a horror movie. Mm -hmm. But he's so fucking good. He's so good in that. Oh, oh, this is the greatest part. You're going to love this. We got a surprise for you, Sydney. Yeah, you're going to love this one. It's a scream, baby. Hold on a sec. Right back. But yeah, with Brittany Murphy, she's just kind of a once-in-a-lifetime performer that I, I think is not credited as that, and that sucks. You know, the end of her life was super tragic, and maybe she didn't have the like Oscar pedigree that someone like Heath Ledger had because of like Brokeback right. Mountain. Even though I think she should have, like, even in a movie as fucking forgettable as like Don't Say a Word. I was Douglas, just thinking about that one. Yeah, she's great. She's so fucking good in that. I don't know. She just she she's always great, and she always is just such an endearing presence to have. In a movie, especially in this. <laughs> Have you decided what your talent is going to be yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna sing and dance to New York, New York. I just fell in love with the Big Apple last summer when I was visiting my brother Peter there. He followed his dream all the way to New York. Mm. <laughs> Here's Peter as Liza. <laughs> What I like about this movie, so I guess like the general setup is that they're all trying to win this Miss Dairy thing or the Miss Montrose. They wanted to call it Dairy Queens and then Dairy Queen was like, no bitch. So (laughs) Kirstie Alley has previously won this, but now she's supposed to be like in her late 30s and her daughter is Denise Richards and she's up for it. And then Mm -hmm. everyone else that we just described or like the other girls, Amy Adams is sort of the hot one. And then Kirsten Dunst is like, yeah, the most grounded character. She is the only one that I feel like has a plan for what this pageant could give her it's like not just like for fun and it's not the end of the game like denise richards wants to win because she wants to win and kirsten dunst wants to win because she actually wants the platform and then everyone else just seems like they're doing it kind of for fun yeah with kirsten dunst it's like she has a reason because she's like this and i think the relationship with her and her mom um the ellen barkin character is actually really sweet in its own kind of fucked up way it's really realistic you know her mom telling her like listen like if you win this like this can actually get you out of this town like you can use something as seemingly stupid and fucking trivial and unimportant as this to actually get out of here because unfortunately this is a world that is going to judge you for your looks especially when you're poor and you're coming from nothing and you live in a trailer park but if you're beautiful and you're talented you can get further than me so like for her it's a way out for Denise Richards character it's a way of preserving the status quo and keeping the kind of wealthier family on top and then what starts happening is like slowly women are getting picked off that could have been like real competitive in this yeah and then also like some other people that piss this family off yes Kirsten Dunst's character is the only one that is able to articulate that really clearly yeah like she clearly like her and her mom clearly know what the fuck is going on but oh I guess we should say too like kind of like Reno 911 this movie has like a documentary a mockumentary it's a mockumentary yeah it's all it's 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 kind of like Christopher Guest for like the MTV generation yeah it's very gentle it's Mm -hmm. not that intrusive yeah there's there's even moments where you're kind of un- it's it's a little unclear not even necessarily in a bad way of, of if it's from the documentary's point of view or if we're just actually like in a movie at certain yeah point. but also I, I it was hard for me to think of many other movies at that time that were like this outside of the christopher guest movies because this is even before best in show this was obviously there was this is final yeah. tap and waiting for guffman and this no stuff. and then like the office takes over no there really wasn't anything like this i mean what i thought about was how and i think this even started around the same time as this is that this in some 
things in um, America's Next Top Model are razor thin because they're still just like women talking to the camera about either how great they are or or just like being kind of cruel to the other girls. Yeah. But I mean, what I do like about this movie, even though it has a setup of like female competition, is that it really, it's Denise Richards and her horrible mom. The other girls aren't horrible. Like they don't, they're not even mean to each other at all. No, you have like, I think that's what's another great part of it is like the relationship between Kirsten Dunst and Brittany Murphy and Amy Adams and some of the other girls. They're all pretty sweet to each other. Take it, because you know, I got my costume okayed a month ago before the pageant. You can wear it. Come on. Put it on here. Oh, wow. Lisa, I don't think you should do this. They're never going to let you perform naked, I am. Shut up, you guys. Listen, Amber, I'm not going to win. Okay? And let's be honest, the family only needs one Liza, and Peter's got much better legs than me, okay? Your parents are killing us. Nah. Come on, I love them. But you know they only had me because Peter needed that kidney. And that um, scene was really touching. Like, to me, yeah. out of the whole movie, that was, like, the one part that, like, made me tear up a little bit. I thought it was actually sweet, which is, to the movie's credit, to be sort of distant from its characters. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think that it decides to, more than the structure of the fake documentary and more than, like, really tethering to, like, any character or following, like, a high school plot line, it's really committed to how many jokes it can deliver in a given, in, in, in the span of the movie, which is a lot. This is a pretty packed, like, the movie's very funny. It's so funny. I mean, I remember even as a kid, I I liked it, but watching it again recently, I just watched it the other day for the first time in, you know, 11 years. And it was kind of like watching it for the first time again. Oh, yeah. Consistently, every scene is funny. And there were parts that- Everything is funny. Yeah. I mean, there there are parts in it that were, that made me laugh harder than anything I've seen this year. No, I mean, and you're right. And it is really kind of sweet and and, and emotional in its own way. And because I think all the relationships do feel very lived in and very detailed. And and Kristen Dunst is so fantastic. To, to have a great. movie with Amy Adams, who I think is like, a, I don't always like her cho- choices, mm-hmm. but is obviously fucking a great actress. Like to have her maybe have like my third or fourth or fourth or fifth, like favorite performance. Like that says something like everyone is so good. Yeah. And I think it's especially Kirsten Dunst. Like she's someone who's usually pretty great and like doesn't yeah. always, you know, maybe get mentioned as, you know, one of the better actresses around. But like she's always been great. Even in Bring It On, she's great. Like Which she's- is just a couple years after this and that movie critics loved and this movie they yeah. I mean I guess we should maybe say what is the rotten score on this it's 46 percent, which is um not horrible not great but it's also you know I think when looking at the way that people reacted to it it definitely has gotten better write-ups in recent years especially for the 20th anniversary which happened last year Gia Tolentino wrote a really I great read that piece that. it's yeah. beautiful I think even when it came out no one really praised it there were people that were like yeah it's fun it's like it's- a little oddity I think was yeah. like the nicest thing I kind of read of like the reviews that came out at the time yeah. and you can tell by some of like the micro jokes who wrote it like you can tell that a woman wrote it because they were just so searing about the way that women look that they those just feel like sincere sure and I also like something I was curious about is like now re- sorry now watching this movie it feels like so many women that are like my age maybe a little older maybe a little younger that are successful writers like Melissa Broder or T- Otessa and especially um, 
um, Alyssa Nutting. This feels like it could have been one of their short stories. And it's like, so like, it feels like these kinds of things were like in the atmosphere, but maybe weren't like as beloved, but ended up like creating like this dense influence to the point where, yeah, like Gio Tolentino wrote that piece on it. I mean, she was a teen beauty queen too. And yeah. I mean, something else about this is like, 1999 was only three years after Jean Bonnet. I think that it's impossible to even watch it now and not think about that. But especially then, if I mean, it was one of the biggest news stories like sure. ever. I think there is something like insidious that this this movie is trying to tease out about yeah. the beauty industry itself and just what it is to make yourself beautiful so people like you. I think this would have been pretty big if it came out now. I think the movie that I thought that it shared a little bit of like its tone with, I like this movie more than it, is mm. Ingrid Goes West, where yeah. it's a little bit of an indictment of like what it is to make yourself present as a certain as a certain type yeah, and how I, that can like end up sinking you. Mm-hmm. In the end, I think that this movie is more thoughtful. I think that Ingrid Goes West falls victim to the thing that it's trying to skewer by its finale. Even a movie like Flower with Zoe Deutsch. Like, oh, I never saw that. Yeah, like I, I didn't like it. She's great. Um, I think that her charm kind of takes her a, a long way, even in bad movies. But it's a movie that it feels so self-consciously dark where it's just like, how can we write this really fuck? Oh, yeah, there are there are a bunch of those. Like, I think, oh, God, what is it called? I think that's a lot of dark comedies now. I think that's kind of like the post-hangover world of like dark comedies where they're like, how can we make this fucking edgy? Yeah, and this one, it feels like it wants to be funny more than it wants to be dark. Yeah, it just happens. sort of just coming. Exactly, and it's like she knows Lona Williams, who wrote it, who grew up in a small town in Minnesota that she based the town on. You can tell there's so much authenticity to her writing Mm -hmm. and there's so much heart in it too, which is great. And I think that's the same reason that something like even Fargo is really great because it's Mm -hmm. skewering something that's they're easy targets but in the coen brothers aren't directors that are known for having a lot of warmth or heart but you can tell they do like yeah. those characters in fargo yeah. like you can I tell think- there's more so than their other movies th- there is a heart there and i think you feel it in drop dead gorgeous where it's like these are easy targets but i never yeah. felt like it was punching down it never felt like they were just getting no. laughs because it's there's cliches that surround that type of part of the country already that are kind of inevitable that like yeah it's gonna feel like a cliche no matter what yeah there's definitely parts of drop dead gorgeous that i think probably wouldn't hold up as much now well, I mean, do we, do we want to talk about how we're on a Will Sasso street? Yeah, I was going to say Will Sasso <laughs> and Nora Dunn both pop up yeah. in this. Um, after I think his character would not be no. in it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, as soon as he came on screen, I was like, oh. I, at first I was like, oh, he's just playing an idiot. And then they were like, no, he's mentally, the whole movie is just, he's eating paint. He's exposing himself. And look, I, I grew up. I don't think he's that funny in it, but I think what is funny is like watching the, uh, the actor Actresses act off of it. And I actually do like I think a fucked up part of me that grew up, you know, in that era laughing at very un PC things because I didn't oh, yeah, know better. You know, like shit like this or or you know, there's something about Mary, things like that where I'm just oh, like that movie's so good. The the brother and there's something about Mary still makes me laugh. I do think that <laughs> yeah. I do think that the brother and something about Mary is depicted with a lot of affection. Like you feel yeah. her affection extend to you, the viewer. I do not feel that about the Will Sasso character. 
character. What I will say though is that you don't even no. form that close of a bond with like Kirsten Dunst. Like the movie itself is it, because of the premise or because it's a big of the setup. sprawling cast too. It's yeah, but he's an easy yeah. laugh. He's the easiest laugh that the movie gets. True. He's an easy gag. There is the the John Doe character who is clearly a pedophile. A pedophile. Um, I think that I think that's funny. It's like, funny. I, I think they okay. drag it out a little bit too far at times. They do. It's so funny. It so does have the bite to back it up too that we've been talking about. But it feels kind of effortless. It doesn't feel like they're they're trying to make a dark comedy. It doesn't feel like they're yeah. trying to make a cult comedy, which a lot of movies do now too. It never feels like a self conscious thing. It just feels like a very. It feels very authentic to the way this writer grew up and was just like, I want to write about this world. And it flows so well. Like unlike yeah. something like South End Tales last week, like this, yeah. and even Bamboozled. This movie is tight. It just every scene is great. Yeah, yeah. I and wouldn't take anything out. Nope. <laughs> even even the Will Sasso character. I mean, I think it's. I don't know. It doesn't like. It doesn't feel like the new Todd Phillips comedies where you're just. That's like, true. It's just really mean. Like I think yeah. you're mistaking like cruelty for dark humor. Right. And it, there is even a, a line in here where somebody says like you can't call them that anymore. And I think that you're supposed to like like each character based on like how well or not well they treat that character. So like Kirstie, yeah. so Kirstie Alley and Denise Richards treat that character and refer to him as derogatory. The other women, if they do, they kind of feel bad. Like I, I do like the way that he's used. The performance is really broad, obviously, yes. <laughs> but I do like the way that the women act against it. And to have something kind of like slapsticky and stupid in a movie that I actually think is pretty thoughtful mm-hmm. didn't bother me very much because I do think like what it's know. able to have insights on or like subversive and beautiful, like the fact that they're all competing to win this thing that seems more like a curse because yeah. one of them that won it, like an, another pageant person that won it is now just like working at the meat factory and that fake commercial oh, is fake commercial so good. So great. Oh, I just love St. Paul pork products. In fact, I love them so much. I work here now. Uh. <laughs> like that made me laugh so loud. And then and then one of them in like I think the the, the movie's like finest runner is just like in a bulimia award now. And yes. then one of them is Kirstie Alley. So the best thing that we're able to see that this pageant can win you is to be a horrible cunt. That's the best thing. What about the the very Americanized Asian family? Oh god. I mean I feel two ways about like so there's a like there's another character that's not that important or interesting what's the most interesting thing about her is that she's white but she's adopted by Asians because like that's how they're assimilating so well and I do think that joke is kind of funny so we adopt Mori three years ago when we come to America to help uh, acclimate us to American to America <laughs> and I mean, maybe it's that. Like, maybe the like what makes a dark comedy great is like leaving in some of the more problematic material. Yeah, because there, I mean, there's there's going to be truth in a lot of that problematic material, and it's really just about how you handle it. I think it's like you have not to 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 harp on someone like Todd Phillips again, but it's like no, do he's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fuck him, he's fine. But I think that you know, a guy like that now, like saying like, oh, I had to make a movie like Joker because I I can't make comedies anymore because no one's allowed to like jo- his you know, reaction make jokes. to being criticized was one of the most graceless things of last year yeah i'm like dude you were filthy fucking rich you and made like, so much money your based. movie got nominated for a fucking oscar don't fucking complain like this movie yeah. is rotten this guy got nominated for best fucking director i mean <laughs> jesus christ for that movie and you know but i think it's it's so ridiculous you always just hear guys like that saying now like oh i can't joke around everything's too pc i can't how am i supposed to make a fucking living and they're like they're being ostracized or something like that and like it's no like it's it's 
really like you can you can tackle dark material. It's all about your intentions because I think the intentions are clear. Someone like Todd Phillips has probably never experienced any type of discrimination in his life. That's why I think that he was so hurt by Batman or sorry, Joker yeah. getting not even maligned because again, critics loved it. Like people were having a conversation that wasn't just applauding him and that seemed yeah. to have pissed him off. Is it and I, and I think that like it, it, like it can be a good movie and it can be a dangerous movie. And it's the way that you deal with that like yeah. publicly, publicly that will make you seem like a good person or like a fucking piece of shit. And he just showed himself to be like my least favorite kind of person. Exactly. I mean, I think that we should talk about the anorexic ward and the patient in it because that was one of, that was both of our favorite, like one of our favorite parts. Like I think it was your favorite, like it's, so she plays last year's beauty queen. She has been moved to like, a bulimia ward there's like a sign in the hospital that they keep going back to because they know that like it's golden that just points like burn victims this way bulimia anorexia ward this way and Kristen Dunst's character like actually goes and takes care of her once a week and Denise Richards like pretends to for the camera she has some line that's like oh look at the dippy little look on her face it just she delivers it so fucking well I I texted you when I was watching it because this scene during the (laughs) contest at the end where they bring out um, last year's winner who is now yeah horribly anorexic and looks like she's dying they wheel her out and she lip syncs oh it's not one beneath my wing it's it's just like a drippy don't cry out loud don't cry yeah. out loud yeah so she <laughs> they wheel her out and she lip syncs to don't cry out loud and i think that's the hardest i've laughed in it's so- over a year i it's <laughs> fucking so funny don't cry out loud just keep it inside learn how to hide your feelings there's something so true about because you have to remember too that this is like the era of women and I'm not saying this doesn't exist now but like at least I don't know what's better or what's worse it's like we're in this phase now where we love like contouring and like big butts and we're getting like butt implants and women like Lindsay Lohan the Olsen twins Nicole Richie there was so many headlines on like Us Weeklies I would say from like 97 to probably 2006 that were like are they anorexic and the answer is yeah yeah. like photos of like a bunch of celebrities like Jennifer Aniston people who put the weight back on they were like dangerously thin like Kate Moss thin and that was what was in vogue and right. i think that the way that that character is portrayed and then how she's like the person that's to give her crown away like i think it's a really dark omen of like what's to come next and like yeah it's right. funny and we can laugh at it but the reason why it's effective is that it's it's like incredibly true Absolutely. and i think that the way that this movie and the next movie like deal with weight and image are like incredibly deft and smart Absolutely. and touching yeah let's look at how let's look at how it was received when it came out so drop dead gorgeous it's released july 20 23rd 1999 two days before my 11th birthday (laughs) it was made for 15 million which i think it would be made for a fraction of today okay i think you know shooting it digitally would probably bring down the cost a lot there's no way that movie gets made for 15 million right now this thing gets released on netflix and they make it for five right Um, two of the girls would be in glow (laughs) yes yeah Um, (laughs) i think looking at like the judges too the one the one female judge who's like silent and just horrified the whole time i was like this was made today martha kelly from baskets okay. and marriage story is is playing that judge it makes four million opening week
weekend. It it doesn't have a pretty big release. And then it ends up with a little over 10 million. So it doesn't make its money back. And it seemed to me like critics didn't like it no. because it was mean-spirited. Audiences didn't like it either. It got a C- cinema score uh, from Oof. audiences, which is very, very low. But then it did, you know, it got a second life on home video, like a lot of the movies we'll be talking about. Yeah. So they both, yeah, both movies have just kind of gotten this cult status, especially um, last year dropped at Gorgeous. I guess it was released on Hulu briefly. And that was the first time it was kind of digitally streaming. I think for the first time in a while, it was the 20th anniversary. Gia Tarantino yeah. wrote her great piece on it. It's a lot so of good. Not it's, for it. Yeah. Well, another thing is too, I didn't have that many friends in middle school. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't really know this, but my friends, like when I was telling them that this was the episode, my girlfriends when I was telling them that this was the episode that we were doing this week, they were so excited for this movie mm-hmm. because like people fucking like loved it. And I think that it's also what has changed too is not just the fact that like men will listen to women more. It's that like women don't feel guilty about their own taste. Cause I definitely right. thought that like anything that wasn't like Tom Wait that wasn't like masculine was a guilty pleasure until sure. I was probably like 23, maybe older. Like, no, it probably took me like dating an idiot in a band for me to realize that like men are stupider than us we are, and sorry. easy to trick and that like our media is actually like smarter because it, it's able to do more things at once oftentimes True. and i think this movie is one of those things absolutely but- i mean a lot of the reviews and also that's reflective of of criticism um now and especially at the time it's mostly male critics it's mostly white dudes who are of course not the audience for this movie roger ebert didn't like it he didn't give it like an outright horrible review i think he gave it two out of four stars poll quote was the ideas are funnier than the images our guy wesley morris did not like it but it's relentlessly defective i also think that the images are so fun like there's an image of a bunch of beauty queens puking in their gowns over a mall balcony yeah and i think what And I think the the movie does a it, it does a really good job of working within its budget, which fifteen million is low for the time. Like I mm-hmm. think like because you keep thinking like when are we going to get this like really huge beauty pageant scene? And they keep right lily finding a way to avoid that to make know. them rinky and disappointing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's actually it's it's pretty clever with its budget. Um, the Hollywood Reporter said it's a mockumentary of numbingly unfunny proportions. Did you notice too that some of the reviews um, would use puns? Yes, that yes. denote like it being feminine, like. It's plastic surgery and like yeah. and it's just like fuck oh, yeah. you like it would be like if i reviewed a movie and then just couldn't stop talking about football because men are in it like yeah, yeah there's a lot of horrible puns this was a big era for bad puns and reviews though, that I is say. true i feel like they were like incur- like <laughs> puns were, were the clickbait of 90s oh, yeah. reviews even oh, like yeah. 2000s susan stark of detroit news was one of the only female critics i could find that really actively disliked it she said it's, it's as mean-spirited as movies come yeah and i mean that for that this movie and and job breaker that we're going to talk about next i feel like there's something on there's something grotesque that reviewers don't like when it's mean-spirited that i think that like mean-spirited is a totally fine tone to have as a movie and i think it's become yeah. even more of an acceptable tone for women to have but i think that what a lot of people aren't explicitly saying in the reviews, but they're really saying is like, we don't like watching women be mean. Totally. I agree. And it doesn't, because it's not because the jokes aren't funny. The jokes are very funny. It seems like the judgment call is based on who they know is laughing and it's us. It's like teenage girls. Right. And so like, therefore it has to be bad. And I think that's like annoying and upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think especially now, like it seems like it's more digestible, especially for male critics and like a lot of men that like film. And I'm sure I've been guilty of this myself too at some point is it becomes more digestible 
digestible to like a movie where the female lead is written like a guy where it's like what if we just yeah. her like their idea of like a groundbreaking you know interesting female lead is she's kind of you know deadpan and androgynous and she says dude a lot and she talks like a guy and all these women are like incredibly feminine in their yeah. in, in like in a way that's like different from one another too that's yeah. not as archetypal as sex in the city which i also appreciated like amy adams kirsten duns and Brittany murphy can all be sweet characters they're all kind of just women and that exactly. felt more real we and also all defined of- economically and by True. what yeah. they want out of this and not by yeah like a love interest like you said or they're, they're defined by their surroundings and their desires to get out of this town in one way or another but um, like we were texting about this a little bit about like the clueless lead like uh, like a female character that is clueless and that got me thinking about how like movies that were a little more like critically well re- received had a heroine like Cher and Clueless like Romeo mm-hmm. and Michelle and Romeo and Michelle and Elle and Legally Blonde that are clueless and then get to like go on their journey and then get to a point where they're no longer just dumbstruck anymore but this character is like in between like she's yeah. naive but I don't think that she's clueless and then when we make the male version of that movie like Dumb and Dumber Night the Rotsbury Bill and Ted and even like the Waterboy like those characters get to stay stupid it's yeah, like and the, they're de- and they're like legitimately well especially the water frighteningly boy, yeah. frighteningly stupid or, yeah especially or all genuinely of you're like no these characters are mentally challenged <laughs> like they won't they like they just how how do they not get hit by cars every day yes. but like it's upsetting though that it seems like this era of movie like once women characters to stay kind of dumb to a point and then like get better I think that like this movie does a good job at like showing that double bind or if you think about like a character like Josie Grossi and Never Been Kissed it's like or even Romeo and Michelle and Romeo and Michelle they are no like their time at being naive has like lasted too long and so now they're repugnant they're abject but someone like Elle and Alicia Silverstone and Clueless like they they go on their journey they learn and then they become acceptable characters and I think that's disgusting and this is the first time that I was able to be like oh there's all this like this is what was passed as like acceptable and this movie is like a weird outlier kind of in between two things because it's like it's like also a movie like um election or even the movie we're going to talk about next where there's like a clear female another like, 1999 movie oh shit election's so wow. good it's what incredible. year was ghost world 2000 2001 yeah i think that like part of the confusion about this movie too when it came to critics is that it she's not a stupid character like clueless and she's also not an incredible incredibly like active she's not a cool girl she's no. not the, the gone girl cool girl archetype she's not a manic pixie girl she's no not, yeah she's not a teen yeah exactly like she's, she's not just like a real person Ringwald. living in a small town who yeah. just is doing the best she can and is trying to remain optimistic in light of uh some pretty bleak surroundings no i think you're right i think that's why it, it probably didn't succeed in a lot of ways but also i think you're absolutely right in that yeah we don't like to see women be cruel or women get to play darker characters like i think something like or we do when they get punished you know totally. like yeah, yeah. that's why again why like Gone Girl is my favorite movie the of the 2010s because it kind of takes the heroine of like Fatal Attraction Basic Instinct Single White Female and it lets her fucking like lit like yeah. we, we're yeah, all there for her we're yeah. watching because of that character yeah. why do we have to always then kill her off like it's it's upsetting so that's why I love Gone Girl so much but I like this movie too because it just is able to just trash those two stereotypes because we do sure. like when girls behave badly but we also like when girls get punished for behaving badly and this is a movie where like yes Denise Richards and Kirsten Kirstie Alley's characters get punished but the movie becomes less and less about them and more and more about like what a joke the beauty industry is and I think that along with not loving when women go unpunished for being bad I think that what 
people really hate is female anger. And I don't know if you've read like the book uh, Good and Mad by Rebecca Traystar that came out a couple of years ago, Mm-mm. but it is, it is an entire, it's fucking great, but it's, she's just a great mind, but it's just an entire meditation on like the depiction of like female anger. Yeah. And I think that the scene where like they finally, like you're right, like she keeps like failing up and then she like, keeps winning, keeps winning, keeps winning. And then it's like near the very end of the movie. And then like up there's like all those beauty pageant winners that we don't really know them anymore. They're not as distinct as they were back in the hometown besides Kirsten Dunst's character they get dropped off at this building that's supposed to be kind of like a what what is that and like an Avon type thing yeah, yeah, like, yeah like a beauty industry type Maybelline doesn't really matter and yeah. then the building itself is defunct it's for lease like it doesn't really exist and, and like all the women well, being, yeah the company's uh being investigated by the IRS for tax fraud yeah and it's like and business. all the women like break into hysterics yeah that's besides yeah, that's Kirsten an, yeah it's an incredible image it's an incredible scene because I think it's really real it's just like when you're told as a woman that like your entire self your entire worth not even self-worth is wrapped up in like the way that you look and then when you find out that like it's not true or that like you're not attractive anymore like you just get it's it's, it's maddening and like this movie actually shows that and yeah. I think like I, I like I was like moved by this movie in a way that I didn't think I would be I thought that I would we'll talk about it but I, this is an, an, an episode I was looking forward to because I wanted to watch these two movies again anyways but I didn't anticipate how much I would like really love both of them sure. and I think this one ends like on such a high note it also ends again like with her anchoring the news like you were saying yeah. but then it there's gives like her a happy ending despite the circumstances of it being incredibly dark yeah but do you know what song do you remember what song plays at the very end of the movie it's like a uh, 90s cover of um yeah, yeah what what is it the Mary Tyler Moore theme song and Mary Tyler Moore like right. I was a Nick at Night kid yeah. and so that show is like incredibly important like I don't know if I would have like anchored the news in high school if it wasn't for the Mary Tyler like the Mary Tyler Moore show was a show that was about like she's a great heroine because she's like tough and she like got ahead but she also cries all the time so it's like a send up to that kind of like chin up feminism like I think that the movie wants you to not believe in that anymore but it still is tipping its hat we were talking about Christine a little bit anyway but like that movie also ends with like an investigation of like the Mary Tyler Moore show and how like that brand of feminism was something that we were told for so long and and it also like is it hinges on the fact that like that character has to be beautiful i i, I think this yeah. movie's fun great <laughs> do you i mean and i'm, I'm curious too because i think like one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years that is just i think criminally underrated um was young adult it was jason reitman coming off of juno and up in the it's air. my favorite of i don't love him as a director no but i think it's his best i think him and diablo cody seem to they work really well together and i think that he's actually better with darker comedies like young adult yeah. it's interesting because it, drop dead gorgeous and jawbreaker both directed by men young right. adults directed by man so it, it, it obviously like it, it can work and the writers are all women it's yeah. a jawbreaker but yeah. do you think that that was kind of uh, that mentality from critics and audiences especially men carried on to something like young adult you know oh like, yeah absolutely after. but I mean yes but I will say that her character is like so much darker I also yeah. think it's my favorite Charlize performance like I think she's that she so is good she's so fucking and like, that's not to say that I don't think that she's great almost all the time her accent's kind of weird and um, devil's advocate but, sure, but I, <laughs> and her hair's curly but other than that yeah, she's pretty flawless but yeah absolutely or even something that is rotten same same writer is like Jennifer's body like there's exactly. something or even the people who don't like Gone Girl I feel like enough I think that some people find that like in conversation I call that like one of my favorite movies and people get mad at me all the time because I think that they find it 
frustrating. And it's like, it is frustrating. The end of the movie is incredibly frustrating. So is the end of Zodiac. So is the end yeah. of Fight Club. And those to me are like his three perfect films, but the, but like it gets at them more yeah. because of Gone Girl. Yeah. I think a lot of times, yeah, like darker female leads, you know, Charlize Theron wins an Oscar for Monster, which is obviously an incredible performance and, and a really good movie. And it's that classic thing of like a woman has to win an Oscar either if she's really young and beautiful and she's kind of like a Hollywood mm-hmm. darling, like Lance Paltrow or Jennifer Lawrence or Emma Stone, um, or you have to be beautiful beautiful actress and you have to get really ugly you got to get dirty you got to put on prosthetics like monster right and, and we've talked about this like th- this is why jennifer lopez like didn't get right. an oscar last didn't year get her whatever. oscar for, for hustler she didn't get naked you know so it's it's interesting that someone like charlie saren can win an oscar for monster which makes a lot of sense because she's fantastic yeah. in it but they respect that but then when she just plays a genuinely ugly human being in a lot of ways and young adult who's kind of heartless and cold but she looks as beautiful as she does they don't know what to do with it the ugliness needs to be reflected on the outside too yeah or they people need, exactly. are pissed yeah, yeah. It's and it's super even goes annoying. down to the real Eileen Wernos, who she plays in Monster, a serial killer, who's one of the few really famous female serial killers that people really just chalk up and, and put in the same category as, you know, anybody else like Richard Ramirez or, or you know, the son of Sam at that era. All the uh, greats. But don't talk about the fact that she was being raped and abused her right. whole life. Obviously, she killed a lot of people, not justifying that. But, you know, it's such a more complicated serial killer than a lot of those other people. And it swings both ways because I, did you ever, you might be, you might have missed this show because you might have had friends, but I only had one. <laughs> friend uh, in college and his name is Macy and we were obsessed with a show called um, Most Evil. Are you familiar? Ooh. It is uh, worth uh, worth, worth looking it up. I've definitely so he seen is a, it pop up a weird doctor. I remember his name was Dr. Stone. Mm. I think that like yeah, he probably had his PhD in psychiatry or whatever, yeah. but he was still like <laughs> okay to just talk to like the Spike Network <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> It was, it was such a good show. Um, Spike he would just, probably pays better than his, his real job. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so he would just go through serial killers and then like list and then give them a, like a, a ranking. And I think that the ranking wasn't even one to 10. I feel like it was like either one to 14 or one to seven. It was like a really weird scale. Yeah, it was a really it's weird scale. It's, it's on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> and he would always downgrade women for like just some reason where I'd be like, you're like the Ken and Barbie killers. Like he like gave her like a few, like half the score of him. I'm like, why did she get the female pay on like yeah. the evil scale? Because like she killed her own fucking sister. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, I mean, even though it was the killed- movie, uh, the honeymoon killers yeah like she's fucking crazy way crazy (laughs) so i think that like it swings both ways where like if you're a woman that kills like there there's always like yeah but like she couldn't have baby (laughs) right there yeah yeah. it's like that doesn't like that doesn't mean you should become evil oh no she ain't quitting no (laughs) mom said if i did she'd look up my dad and marry him so has your mom kept your dad's life a secret no she never hid the fact that my dad picked his career over us what she used to say once a carny always a carny i think these are this is it's hard to nail it's hard to nail down but best quote oh there's shit. so many good ones there's so okay, many good I do. ones okay i no, there was one that i like because a movie that is as strong as this it has so many jokes fires off those jokes with the confidence that there's more to come yeah and I think that like that is also rare. Like I think that so many good movies like really ruminate on a couple jokes that they have that they really like. Yeah. Mine, I think, comes from Kristen Dunst's character when she's threatening to quit the pageant because she's scared that she's going to be murdered, but her mom wants her to stay in it. Yeah. And she says, she says like, um, mom said if I quit, I should look up my dad and marry him. 
I think I have two. One coming from Ellen Barkin's character, the mom. I, I did really. I wrote down, I am reaching the point where I would kill someone for the nicotine under their fingernails. I think it's just such a great yeah. line. It's just really, really good. I think my, my last favorite quote was towards the end, actually, at the funeral. And the priest says, And so, dear Lord, it is with deep sadness that we turn over to you this young woman whose dream to ride on a giant swan resulted in her death. Maybe it is your way of telling us to always buy American. <laughs> I mean, uh, actually, that is a line that I think I wrote down like, oh, this feels like it could be an, an Alyssa Nutting short story. Like, yeah. it's like so blown out and absurd. It's so good, though. Yeah. At times, I was like, oh, this would just be considered like smart fiction now or like fun fiction. Last question. Mm-hmm. Who's the MVP of the movie? That's really hard. It's a tough one. It, the whole ensemble. My heart wants to say Brittany because I miss her. Yeah. I mean, she she's kind of the MVP of everything she's in. She's just mm-hmm. always kind of like, you don't even realize how much work she's doing sometimes. But I loved Kirsten Dunst, too. Like She's really great. I, I Yeah, it's... It's between them for me. I mean, Amy Adams is obviously great. And the woman who plays the bulimic girl is great. But I mean, Brittany's, Brittany Murphy has like this scene that I think. Yeah. So I guess I would say Brittany Murphy. Yeah, she has. She's just, yeah, like you said, she always kind of looks like she's about to like break in the background, but she kind of incorporates it into her character almost. Yeah. So it works. Yeah. I mean, I would say Brittany Murphy is, like I said, she's kind of the MVP of everything she's in. But I do think that I think that the most underrated is Denise Richards. I think we really kind of undervalue yeah. what she was doing at that time. I you know, Sarah everyone. Michelle Geller tried out for that role. Did she? Yeah, and I will I say Denise I Richards prefer. Is better. I think that what works in this movie is that Denise Richards, she probably is older than Kirsten Dunst, but she looks like she's like 27 and sells real estate. Like she looks older in a way yeah. that makes that character scarier. Yeah, I think yeah. that Sarah Michelle Geller looks young and is slight. She's like a little girl. She's yeah. like my my height. You but need that. Denise, Denise Richards, Richards is like a shark. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's terrifying. I think the ensemble is kind of one of the better ensembles of that time. Should we talk about Jawbreaker? Oh, yeah. At a school like Reagan High, being the teen dream can be a little hard to swallow. It is with deep dismay that I inform you that Elizabeth Purr... I heard she choked on a Jawbreaker. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> Are you Courtney Alice Shane? Maybe. Now... I'm Detective Vera Cruz. One detective will try to find the face that fits the facts. You ever seen one of these before? No. No? Take a lot of licks to get one of these things down. It's hard. You frighten me. It's okay. There's nothing kinky about okay now, is there? Can you say freak? Comes the battle between the babes. She's so evil. And she's only in high school. It's over, Courtney. I am petrified. Jawbreaker. Our best friend is dead. Do you have any idea what that means? You were shooing for prom queen? So what I realized when I was watching it the other day was that I have seen it. But okay. on cable, on like, so a lot of things mm. were taken out and bleeped out. So I think I didn't really understand how fucking morbid this movie is. It, it was a lot darker than but I it, the, but it was going to be. The style of it is a lot brighter. Yes. Like it looks like a teenage girl's bedroom from my air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think I texted you like when we were just discussing doing the podcast that it's like, it's like Heather's for like the butterfly barrette generation. Like it's, yeah. It's it's very clearly indebted to Heather's to the point where I think a lot of people thought it it almost was um, copyright infringement, but (laughs) it does, you know, not to, not to bring this, this back again, but I think it kind of, um, last week we talked a little bit about uh, Gregor Rocky and kind of what he would have done with a movie like Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. not Tales. I think that Jawbreaker to me felt like Gregor Rocky's take on Heather's, especially okay. yeah, having Rose McGowan in it and yes. the very self-aware kind of zingy one-liners uh, and pop culture references and things like that. I think that this, I think the Jawbreaker has, to me, it's indebted to the Gregor Rock, Rocky movies of that time, like Doom Generation and Nowhere, um, okay. just as much as Heather's, because I think the kind of vibrancy of it, to me, reminded me of that. I also think it just like owes a lot to something like Clueless that it's trying, like it is trying to be quoted, whereas like yes. Drop Dead Gorgeous is just trying to be funny and Jawbreaker kind of like Clueless is a dark version of something that's trying to be like quippy and quotable. Sure. Um, should we tell people the general premise? Yeah. I should because the ringleader of the group is named Courtney. Yes. Which C, I remembered though. early on. I was like, oh yeah, this is great. So that is Rose McGowan. She's like the bitchiest bitch of the group. Um, there's Rebecca Gayhart who... Max, I think that Rebecca Gayhart looks like a porn version of Denise Richards. Like she's kind of in that same hotness. I can see that. Yeah. We'll get into a performance later. And then Julie Benz. Really straightened who's, her hair in it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Julie Benz, who people will know from like Dexter. And for me, she's Darla and Buffy and Angel. Yes. Um, they are like a group of like three very popular high school girls, like Mean Girls. They, like this yeah. movie is also like like Mean Girls with Mean Girls found a way to make Jawbreaker accessible to yeah. millions more teen girls. So every year, it sounds like on the the person like this uh, this fourth character's birthday, and I think that the fourth character. Wait, what is her name? Yeah, it's Liz. Yeah, Liz. Yeah. So every year on Liz's birthday, they kidnap her. They perform some sort of prank on her. Yeah. I. Th- and we don't get to see that much of her for because she dies very early. Yes. But I think that that character is sort of modeled off of like a Laura Palmer type. She's sure. never really described other than like she's perfect. Right. And so what they do on her 17th birthday, which is really scary and horrifying and the way that it's filmed is extremely effective, but they kidnap her and they're wearing masks to make them kind of look like babies, kind of like the bad guy in Happy Death Day. I mean, they, look they all like, kind of they look like they're robbing a bank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're all dressed in black. Rose McGowan's character stuffs one of those big jawbreakers in her mouth, tapes her mouth shut, and they're all giggling and they're in a convertible. They're going to take her out to breakfast. And then when they pop the trunk to surprise her, it's revealed that like she swallowed the jawbreaker and choked to death. Yes. And then they all go about trying to like cover up or hide the murder and that, you know, tears them apart as like a group. And that's like what the general setup is. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And then it's about another character comes in who's sort of a the the epitome of like the nineties nerdy girl at school. Right. Her name is Fern Mayo, so she couldn't have a worse name. Right. Uh, and she's played by Judy Greer. Played by Judy Greer. So Judy Greer plays Fern Fern Mayo and she catches them. She witnesses them trying to cover up the crime. So instead of they kind of they kind of reverse blackmail her into it. They're basically like, We'll make you pretty, we'll make you one of us if you don't tell anybody. Yes. Uh, they I mean they black yeah. I guess they reverse blackmail her into it. Yeah. yeah but I mean, the like the desire and want to be popular is like, <laughs> like why I think this movie is super funny is that like that is worth as much as like covering up homicide in this world. Yes. Yeah. So like it, Courtney Rose McGowan's character, I think we're supposed to, if we're using the evil scale, <laughs> like she's the most evil. I, I think in the beginning, I was a little, I was a little confused because, you know, when they reveal the dead body, you know, after she's choked on the jawbreaker, I was kind of like, I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Right. Which, so I was a little disappointed, spoiler alert. I was a little disappointed that I thought maybe they were going to reveal that she planned it. I think there's 
just hints to, to, to make you wonder. Like yeah. when they're driving in the car, Marcy, played by Julie Benz, who was, I say, would say like the middle evil, like she's kind of. She's kind of like the precursor, like the Amanda Seyfried and Mean Girls character. Like she's, she's the dumb she's a follower. blonde follower. Yeah. Courtney is so good at covering her tracks and thinking on the fly that Marcy says like, you came up with that quick. So oh yeah, I, I love that. She has that great line where she's like, you are in control. Yeah. yeah. So I think that there's enough there that you could, you could also say like maybe she planned it. I don't think she did. No, I don't either. And but I, I think it, that, I think know. it invites you to think that and that tension, I appreciate it. Like I, I thought that I would like this movie more than Drop Dead Gorgeous. And then after I watched Drop Dead Gorgeous, I was like, oh, there's no way. Right. And at the end, like I kind of do, like I kind of like them both a lot. Like this one, I think feels a little more traditional. Like it is more attached to its characters and it's, it, it feels a little more like lived in. It doesn't feel like it floats around as much. I think the biggest problem for me that I had with it was that it did on one hand feel a little too self-consciously dark in a way that it felt like it it felt like it was made with the intention of becoming a cult movie whereas Drop Dead Gorgeous just okay. accidentally became one but at the same time it is one of those movies that you watch Jawbreaker you watch and you were like oh yeah I totally understand why this is a cult classic it just is kind of written all over it for me I think it could have been a lot better with just a little bit better plotting because I think, yeah. I think Drop Dead Gorgeous is it's it's a satire it, it has a, a kind of gimmick not in a bad way by having it be a mockumentary so that you can access a lot of information about the characters and their backgrounds and their thoughts on everything pretty easily with jawbreaker it's you are venturing into heather's territory you're venturing into something that's like a murder mystery and also like a cover-up and in effect you're gonna open the door to a lot more plot holes and a lot more okay. moments i think for me personally like in a such a short time span i was surprised how many times i was like wait why is this happening or why are you doing this and you know not that okay. i'm looking for like an airtight plot be like this i just think it could have used a little bit more tightening and i think just especially in the beginning how quickly the rebecca gayhart character immediately is like i'm gonna detach myself from this she group. defects really quickly yeah it, it felt almost she's like supposed to be like your moral center scene. yeah exactly and i don't i don't think she's very good in this either i was gonna I think, say do yeah, you think I, she's good in this no i think i think rebecca gatehart irl is the only person who's really killed somebody <laughs> so that's i was like true. oh that's funny ironically um, rebecca <laughs> is a murderer <laughs> Her and Matthew Broderick. There's Rebecca Gayhart, Matthew Broderick, and John Landis. Are in, and Brandy. Uh, and Brandy. <laughs> the exclusive club of uh, so-called accidental Vehicular deaths. murders. Yes. Uh, well, John Landis, uh, helicopter, but still. Oh, um, Jesus. So, yeah, her character defects really quickly. I actually think that it's not really a problem with the script. I think it's I think it's a problem with her performance. I think that if you had somebody else, like, yeah. like if, if it was Emma Stone like or somebody of that ilk, like I, I think that you would have believed it. Well, I think it's 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 a problem with the script too, but you do need an actress who can do a little bit more work with what they're given, and yeah. she's not really up to that. I think I think that this movie, like, I have more to criticize about it, but I also like love some weird things about it so much. I also sure. think Judy Greer's performance in the for, in her first act is really weird. It doesn't. Yeah. It feels I so stupid. It feels like a teenage Shelley Duvall in The Shining. It's so yeah, weird. very Shelley Duvall. Good point. I yeah. I wrote down what the fuck is Judy Greer doing? I, I think, think that people think of Judy Greer as yeah. someone who can like class up like class up a fluff piece but I, I sometimes she bothers me and she bothered me here she I think found a better stride in her career later on like I think she's a great kind of supporting player in a lot of 2000s like rom-coms like 13 going on 30 and stuff like mm-hmm. that I think she works really well and it's not that she's bad in this at all because I think Judy Greer is a really good actress I think she's miscast I do not buy the transition um, so yeah I guess we should say that Fern is yeah again like reverse blackmailed into becoming one of them and we're and kind of a- she goes 
goes by Violet. the dead girl. Yes. And and they they change her and then she kind of becomes a bad person too. Yeah, by effect she becomes a bad person. She gets a Corvette with a license plate vanity plate bitch, which is amazing. And she also she has starts, a shirt that says bitch, I yeah, think at some point. Yes. <laughs> like, um, there's also a very fucking strange scene where she's just sitting on her Corvette, the hood of her Corvette out front of the school, rocking yeah. out like she's in a 1950s teen movie and everyone's just kind of surrounding her like in awe of her. I don't know if you noticed too, there's a guy wearing sunglasses who just at one point starts like touching her shoes and is like, whoa. No, I did not notice that. Very I mean, weird. I think that her character, once she's transformed, it's supposed to be like a reference to, like Sandy in Greece. Yeah, that's something I want to talk about too is the 1950s kind of... Um, oh yeah, because they're all wearing like neckerchiefs. Yeah. And, okay, that's the other thing about this movie. Like Drop Dead Gorgeous is great and there's such different pieces. Yeah. But this movie, like if you were to take a like a still from like almost any moment, it would be beautiful. Like the colors are really pretty. I think that there's some really almost like ludicrous choices. Like there's weird wipes and car- yes. cartoon noises. And then there's also like the someone's tattoo becomes amin- or No, not tattoo. Someone's it's the freckles mark. on the back of her neck. Yeah, the, because yeah. those there's are really weird choices yeah that's also kind of underdeveloped too with the the judy Greer character when she's sitting behind liz the member of the group who was killed in the beginning yeah and they do flashbacks to to judy Greer sitting behind her in class and she's so kind of mesmerized by her it feels like she's in love with her but they kind of don't really take it anywhere they kind of they just kind of it call up. it back later a little like, bit yeah no yeah. i think that the movie does want to explicitly say that she's a lesbian but doesn't know where that will put them and so yeah. it, it hints at it but doesn't secure yeah. that but no i think that you're supposed to think that she's a lesbian that's i mean that's she is in love with from her, it yeah. and then i kind of forgot about it and then it just at times felt like the movie forgot about it and but yeah i think judy greer there's just something about the transition that doesn't necessarily work for me and maybe i don't know if it's because just knowing who judy greer is in the later part of her career so you kind of obviously have a built-in idea of of who an actor is which is not their fault um but there's something about because i think rose mcgowan and julie benz are so on point they're so in the world julie benz is great in this she is my favorite performance in it. I think she's really like, I think Rose McGowan's really good. I think Julie Benz is my favorite. I think she just seems to know exact. She's just right in the pocket of the movie. And her, the scene with her dad is great. Loved her, her single dad. Oh yeah. Um, that scene made me really sad. <laughs> yeah. Cause she's kind of, <laughs> she's a bitch to him because yeah. she's taught that she should be a bitch and he's like a very caring father. Th- yeah. Yes. I think that it's... like those small details on this movie are why I love it so much. Sure. And I agree with you, like Judy Greer's transformation to, Violette. There's something about the before and after that doesn't make sense. But what I actually think that this movie does so right, and like what I think is my favorite thing about it, is that the makeover itself is like, first of all, it's juxtaposed with the body getting prepared to be incinerated, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're and right. then and then her makeover scene is juxtaposed with that and in almost like a crazy like Alice in Wonderland type. Like it's not a makeover scene like clueless where we like get to see trying on clothes. It is a spectacle it, that yeah. feels like something out of like an MGM music. And then what happens at the end of it is that she be- she becomes a different person and nobody at school recognizes her anymore and she takes on a different personality. And I think as a teenage girl that really loved the trope of a makeover is that like it really like reveals like an insidious underbelly to what I think that the makeover scene really is. And it's not, those scenes don't want to transform the person. They want to make that person disappear. And that's sure. what you want as a girl. It's like you don't want to transform into a better version. You want the version of yourself to go away. And I think... Huh that the way that that is portrayed I think is like actually subversive and incredible. I don't necessarily think that it's believable in the performance, but I wish, yeah, I was like, ah, oh God, I fuck, I fucking wish like the movie was more about this. 
this or either way like it was just such a beautiful little piece that i yeah i love that part of the movie yeah i don't know if it's just like the actual wardrobe of the movie too which we're going to talk about and okay yeah yeah the fact that when she transitions you know when they when they give her this makeup when they give judy your makeover and they reveal her i was like why does she look like a 1950s housewife um with her like hair the is very unfortunate hair there's a lot of unfortunate hair in this movie i wrote down oh my god i wonder if i can find it okay i wrote down because as like a thought exercise like how i could describe a certain top she was wearing yeah because it is it's so bizarre so i wrote down that it is a muscle tee cut sweater with an argyle pattern that yes. secondary cutter color is cut out to reveal her skin and a repeating keyhole from tits to tummy that is wow. a fuck that's a crazy top like that's i was insane. like what the fuck it's an optical illusion of a shirt yeah that's ugly as fuck i would never wear it i would openly make fun of someone wearing it <laughs> in a movie with her character it worked i think that the way that she is designed and maybe it's her body maybe it's her performance right it really sings like i believe every Every piece of clothing that she's in. I think that she's great in this movie. She's really good. I, you know, I wrote down, I think she was probably one of the best at that time of handling material like this. Yeah. Um, she can really make that dialogue sing. And especially like watching like her performance in like the Doom Generation. I think that she just knew how to fucking make that like very quippy, self-aware pop culture dialogue work. And annoyed. She'll just be like, there's a body in a truck. Like, yeah. she sounds malicious and flippant yeah and, and like like you're getting on her nerves yeah and i think that like she gives a really brilliant performance i think that whole section of the movie where we follow her point of view into like the bar yes. and then she like i think that's what i mean like they're, they're like i think that this movie's highs are just so high for me and yeah they just suck me in so much that I, I i loved i loved it i was really i think thrown by the darkness of it in a way that was oh yeah because the uh, body is the body and then they stage it to make it look like a rape which i was yeah. like oh, well this would never happen right now there's no, no it wouldn't this. happen right now and it's weird also hearing it from Rose McGowan's mouth because she's yeah. like become like a big me too <laughs> like sp- like yeah. somebody who speaks out a lot and pretty eloquently like I don't always agree with her but that's not the point you know well she's also you know and that it also I think her persona also ties into what we were talking about earlier with the way that we accept mm-hmm. certain women and, and 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 disregard others Rose McGowan is not the perfect messenger for no. a, a me too movement but she's also suffered a lot of trauma and abuse and taking that into consideration it's shitty how often we write her off and that's not to say that she hasn't said some extremely stupid things or really borderline you know racist or transphobic things mm-hmm. along the way she's also apologized and, and tried to do better which i think is something that we need todd to phillips more. can't yeah it's like yeah, she could at least admit her mistakes and also once again she is clearly you know a little more mentally ill in ways than than, than Alyssa milano who also became a spokesperson for me too and is you know totally hypocritical and full of shit whereas rose mcgowan yeah she's not the perfect messenger and she talks a lot of shit and i think obviously a lot of men don't like that and don't want to hear that i know you i know all about you you're the one in the corner at the dances that the geeks won't dance with because they're at home fucking old pervs in cyberspace thinking they're doing some hot babe there's nothing to hide Fern. you're nothing we're everything you're the shadow we're the sun but I'm here to offer you something you never dared dream of. Something that you were never meant to be, but will be. Because today, Fern, my dear, fate has decided that you are cool. We're gonna make you 
one of us. The love interest of Rebecca Gayhart. Okay, so poor, poor man's Ethan Hawke. Okay, I wrote that down, and yeah. then I looked him up. Did you he know he played young Ethan Hawke in Gattaca? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? I realized that right after because I was watching it, and there's a shot of him where I was like, oh, they clearly like this guy is supposed to be like Ethan Hawke in Reality Bites, like down to the the hair, yeah. and the fish, or everything. I was like, this is what this was supposed to be, and I was like, oh, this poor guy. And he just like assists them on their plot to get Courtney in a way that now the girls just could have done themselves. Yeah. Then so, so eventually Fern. So Violette defects also, and then her and Rebecca Gayhart's care to become like a duo. Yeah, yeah. I guess I yeah, like the villain in, in this movie so much, and I like the visuals in this movie so much. But yeah, the, the, right. the highs are definitely high. Uh, yeah, and I was yeah. sincerely tense when you know, like anytime you know that the body might be found. Oh, and then we should also say that Jackie Brown, the other Greer. Yeah, I was gonna say Pam Greer plays the lead detective in this. It's her first role post Jackie Brown. She's fucking great in it. Like the, the scene where she slams the jawbreaker down like I actually yeah. jumped like there's times where she looks a little bored she looks a little okay. like okay this is what you're gonna offer me after Jackie Brown cool some of the casting is very kind of like self-aware but also it doesn't give Pam Greer much to do no it doesn't it doesn't it, it, it doesn't. doesn't which it is kind of a shame because it's like if you're gonna bring in Pam Greer like especially after Jackie Brown it's like this is her her comeback era but her chewing out a bunch of teenage girls was just like such a delight for me I think that she sure. starts strong and then yeah the entire cop angle peters out yeah, in a way that I kind of yeah. liked because like once Rebecca Gayhart knows that she has material to get Courtney in trouble what I like about this movie is that like then there's a scene where she dips from the police station to then execute like a like a revenge plan at right. high school which right. I like I kind of like that about the movie where it's like a big a, a worse humiliation for this character is not being taken to jail it's to be taken down at high school and I was, sure. oh, I was like yeah, okay yeah. now no, no, I no, like that true. yeah 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 let's talk about the wardrobe okay Okay, yeah, that's that's a big that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, and I think that Rose's costuming all works, especially like at that prom scene where yeah. her headdress, like not only is it beautiful, like that is an updo that I will remember if anyone ever decides to fucking marry me. It is a beautiful updo that recalls like the bride of Frankenstein. Okay. It's yeah. so yeah, I, think I was wondering I was like I think when as soon as I saw it, I said, What the fuck is in her hair? Oh yeah. yeah. So it's like so it's like they put a ribbon running through it like a spring mm-hmm. and it does look like Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. I did not read that that was intentional, but to me, it's like, yeah, she's a movie monster. Right. And yeah. at, at, no, the, true, at the prom yeah. scene, I think that she becomes that movie monster right. in a way and like really embraces it, impressed with and enthralled with at the end. I don't, I mean, I hated Rebecca Gayhart's hair. <laughs> You're right. It makes a bunch of these women look like 50s housewives. Yeah. I think when they reveal Judy Greer, I was like, I feel like she is the poster image of that housewife in the 1950s who you she's just see vacuuming like, and preparing dinner and and is like this but that was a style like i fucking had capris for some ungodly reason right well i guess that was the question too is like so there was like the kind of swing big band revival in the 90s right. that everybody just wants to forget about you know with big bad voodoo daddies and cherry pop and daddies like, and don't forget fun. cherry pop and daddies they yeah cherry pop and daddies squirrel nut zippers Oof. real 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 weird one to a degree the mighty mighty boss Stones, but that was a little more ska and then you had like brian seltzer orchestra there was that famous gap commercial oh god yeah and, and even yep. like the movie swingers like yeah they're swingers so it was a statement it was i i was very curious because it was a little to me it felt it was specific but at times it wasn't specific enough if that 
makes sense. Like it just, yeah, okay. I want them to lean into it a little bit more. But Rose gets to be like Betty Pay, but like Rose gets. Well, she uh, has that look too. She has yeah. this very pale 50s kind of pinup look. Yeah. And so they, I don't know if you know that or look this up, but her tattoo on herself is of herself in real life. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. As a pinup, which is great. And yeah. apparently, too, when it comes to that hairdo that I was just talking about, when she saw Rebecca Gayhart's hair, she went back into makeup and asked them to do her hair in a more interesting way because she didn't want to be shown up. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. again why I like her performance in this because, like, she knows she's not the hero. So she knows she's the villain. And so she really embraces it in a way that I think is exciting. Oh, she's great. No, I mean, I think that, uh, what was it when I was looking it up? Uh, she said that she based her character on Gene Tierney's character in Leave It to Leave Heaven. Leave It to Heaven, a movie that I've been trying to get you to watch. I'm going to watch it. It's so, so good. And at the very end, we can talk about it more, but I also think that when Rebecca Gayhart's character is like taking Polaroids of her, the stills that she's giving, the faces that she's giving look like Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard, totally. like to a T. Yeah. Like she's doing that on purpose and she just looks, she's such a beautiful girl, yeah. but she just like commits to looking just disgusting in a way that like really made me love, love her. Yeah, so, she was always great with that. I think like to a lesser degree, just because like I said, I think Brittany Murphy was kind of in a class of her own, but I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Rose McGowan is somebody that I think we probably could have gotten a lot more interesting oh, yeah. performances out of if unfortunately sure. Hollywood didn't bye, you know, bye. destroy her life. Her. It's but. also a movie that like if you like, if you have a fetish for like Carnigans over, pulled so tightly over tits, like what <laughs> jawbreaker to you? <laughs> There's a lot. A it's lot mostly of, like yeah. I'm scrolling through it now. It's a lot of, oh, a lot of spaghetti. T- no, I think I like the, fa- I like that the, I like the world of fashion that they live in. Yeah, I was Where, reading, it said the distinctive costumes were designed by Vicki Barrett, who drew on 1980s and 1950s era fashion trends blended with fetishistic elements, all in bright candy-like colors to evoke the jawbreaker. Yeah, I love And like, she's yeah. wearing like weird necklaces. Yeah, the, no, the colors, the colors are amazing. And it's an, it was also like watching that, I was like, oh man, I'm so glad that this was made in an era where, you know, you were still shooting on film for like a studio movie. Like you were going to shoot on film because it does give it so much more texture. And I was like, now this movie would just probably be like deprived. It would just have this ugly digital look and it would just... It's so beautiful. I mean, yeah. the scene that I think is my favorite scene in the movie, because it's weird because it doesn't actually attach to anything else. I thought something else was going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just a great little standalone scene is the one where Rose McGowan's Kit Courtney is showing she's getting her love, not even a love interest. This is, do, again, that's another thing about this movie that I like is that her character gets to kind of be a slut and not feel, she, she's, she's punished for being a murderer. She's not punished yeah. for being a whore. She kind of gets to enjoy a detached relationship sexually with people, which sure. I was like, Oh, that's fun. But she is showing this job. That guy's great. That guy's great. He's, he's, so he's very committed. So she gets out a popsicle and she asks him to suck, to eat the popsicle in a way <laughs> to replicate how he would like his dick sucked by yes. her. And then during him giving the popsicle a blowjob, she gives him a blowjob and it like goes on for a little bit. And it's, it's like, it's such an amazing little scene. At that point, I thought that maybe she was going to kill him with it in some way. That's and what I thought too, is that, for that the murder. Gonna, like choke him with it. And then I think that's my favorite scene in the movie actually it's so good i love that i think it needed uh, just like i think a little bit more of that i said i could do with a little kink now suck it and see or get the hell out you like it it's okay okay there's nothing kinky about okay now is there no i said do you like it (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Oh.
I think that in general, and I, and part of me does always wonder if this is nostalgia, but I think the 90s just produced some of the best teen actors we've ever had that I think just didn't really get huh. a fair shot. I think right, that like they Michelle were... Michelle Williams got to. Yeah, Michelle Williams somehow got out of it. Even James Vanderbeek, I saw him on Pose and he's Dude, great. you should watch Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. He's stupendous. Also, that show... He's really good. He's is... good in Rules of Attraction. Like, he kind yeah, of... He right. tried. He tried to, I think, get out of that. And But I think there was just so many... Matthew Lillard, you know, is like also kind mm-hmm. of enjoying somewhat of a comeback, you know, on Twin Peaks. And I think was, Ryan Felipe could have had a different career. You see, I don't think he... I don't like him, but I think... Yeah. He, like, Or I don't I don't find him hot, but I think he's really good in like Way of the Gun. He's great in Way of the Gun. He would have been, I think he's kind of like a teen heartthrob version of the Jude Law, Colin Farrell archetype where I'm just like, exactly. no, you're a scumbag. and You're you, a dirtbag. You need to play scumbags. That's why he's so good in Way of the Gun. Yeah, I think that Rose McGowan, Brittany Murphy, Denise Richards, uh, Matthew Lillard, a lot of Nave them... Nave Campbell he, deserved a bigger career. Yeah, Nev Campbell was doing great work. Devin Sawa did really great work. Really? Have you seen SLC Punk? No. Another 1999 movie. Matthew Lillard is the lead in it and he's fucking great. I can picture the cover, yeah. He's so good in it. But Devin Sawa has a couple scenes in it and he's really good. But well, I, think- I mean, I think it's the difference of people going to like the graduate school of the WB versus like the graduate school of, oh, what is that fucking guy's name that does like American Horror Story? Oh, Ryan Murphy. Yeah. yeah. It's like Ryan Murphy is, I think. He'll revive your <laughs> career if you were uh, a knight. But also I think that he's getting people careers like young people totally. careers and I think that it's instilling some habits that I don't always like that are a little either. smacky yeah it's he's like it's constantly his... winking yeah yeah it's campy like a lot of these movies but it is very self-aware in a way that's kind of annoying yes. but I think that's just kind of the era that we live in now where it's you know even you know the even movies you know like from the guys like Phil Lord and Chris Miller who do like you know 21 Jump Street it's like everything has to be so oh, okay. aware it's like taking that self-awareness of what works so well in Scream because it's self-aware <laughs> and it's winking to the audience but it's still genuinely scary and it's still genuinely a great mystery and a hootana. Yeah. It's suspenseful. It's well staged. Looks great. And the cast is all fully committed. But now it's just, it's taken it too far where it's just like, we're afraid to be sincere with these movies. It's like, well, we have to be ironic about this or people are going to think that we're intentionally making something like this. Or it's just, I, there's such a fear of sincerity, I think, now with with more youthful movies that, that kind of, for me, holds them back. Right. And you don't like Book Smart. Like, that's like one of the movies that we super disagree. Like, I really loved that. Yeah. Yeah. And you I, don't. I don't I don't think it's a bad movie. I just compared to something like The Edge of 17, which had come out a little bit before. I haven't seen that. Edge of 17, I thought was really good because I thought it really, to me, like The Edge of 17 knows that it's it's trafficking in, in a very well-worn genre. Like, okay. what else can you really add to it at this point? And it's aware of that. But I think just by embracing the honesty of it and just any coming of age movie like that, I think it's going to benefit mostly from how honest the writer decides to be with it and how they bring their own experiences to it, because that's really all you have. We've seen it all with that. And Edge of 17, I think, benefits from that. It also has a really great performance. Woody Harrelson's in it as her teacher, and he's great in it. Oh, um, I can believe that. He's great. Yeah, he's the one. No, he doesn't need our help, but yeah. <laughs> Booksmart, it felt like it was kind of going through the motions too much for me, where it felt like it was very self-consciously like, we're going to make super bad for women. Kind of the same way that I think Bridesmaids suffered from being like, let's just yeah. replicate what the Apatow movies are. That's funny, because I like I I don't really love Bridesmaids, but I I do really love Booksmart. I just think mm-hmm. that the jokes are more feminine. Like, I think that the jokes are really smart in Booksmart, and, and I think that they're really true to being a girl where I think that a lot of the bridesmaids jokes just feel like um, yeah it's like let's have them shit in a sink exactly um, which whatever you know that's, that's fine they should be able you know women should be able to shit in sinks too well, yeah I guess so but I think that like <laughs> another movie that we disagree on slightly is Bachelorette which I think mm-hmm. is a movie that more precisely is able to give women a raunchy dirty comedy in the vein of The Hangover mm-hmm. but it traffics with more like female grammar and female problems I, I'm a 
big fan of Leslie Headland mm-hmm. and something that I was thinking about watching this like first of all I think that one of the reasons why this movie isn't as like critically returned to as Drop Dead Gorgeous is like this movie takes place in high school where Drop Dead Gorgeous there's not that many scenes in high school no. I think that like obviously shoot like high school shootings and teenage bullying have, have become yeah, so much more of a problem of, of Columbine yeah so I think that like that doesn't make this a comfortable as comfortable of a rewatch sure yeah the well, teen murder definitely became not so popular well, so you know that leslie hadlin tried to remake as the tv show heathers in oh okay and it did not i think you can maybe find it i i haven't watched it because i really do adore almost all of her work she did kind of a she did like a black comedy that was kind of it was fine actually but like i i really love sleeping with other people of course i love mm-hmm. russian doll, doll. um mm-hmm. sleeping with other people might be my favorite thing that she's ever that done to watch that so she tried to remake heathers and i think that like this is the reason why people don't like this movie is why that people didn't like the remake of Heathers but I think that they fumbled like they tried to retool the, the Heathers as like queers they tried to be inclusive in a way uh, that I think made it even more judgmental and horrible and yeah that awful. doesn't like, sound like it's you great. kind of need the girls to be hot bitches sure, for that absolutely. for the jokes to work yeah I just I don't think that you can make this movie anymore like no I think that's 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 one of the downsides of and it's not even which which is too bad because like in an era of like te- like let's just talk about teen bullying and not even shootings in a in an era where that's more prevalent or yeah. at least more talked about this movie should should be maybe like made more often or seen more often because like it's able to like explode those ideas totally. but instead i think that our our reaction to it is like well don't look at it anymore yeah i mean i think i think the reason i liked something like eighth grade so much is because it felt very honest and i was like wow this feels like a movie that i really i really would have loved to have seen when i was a mm-hmm. teenager or when i was a kid and it and it felt like ironically i you know white dude in his 30s was somehow able to really tap into what it feels like to be a 13 year old girl in, in 2018 mm-hmm. and an era where I'm like so glad that I did not grow up and as a teenager oh, with social God. media I'm just you know I know we, we all talk escaped. about that a lot where we're like fuck thank God we didn't get thank that God. yeah we were kind of like right on the you know right in between which I think is why Pen15 is so great because it captures that kind of in between era where you're mm-hmm. like you're just kind of getting access to like AOL and AIM but you're not yeah I used to like look era. up pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio but they would take like 10 minutes to load yeah you'd really work to find stuff um you know it was like why even downloading music illegally was still like you didn't just have it at your fingertips it was like no i gotta really work to find the right download (laughs) and you were just so grateful when you got it um i think that yeah and i think that the reason to me book the thing that i didn't like about booksmart because i think every actor in it is really good but i think that what bothered me about booksmart was i was like you know like obviously i'm well out of high school i'm this is a totally different generation than me there's no way that that bullying and cruelty has just completely disappeared from high school we know that it hasn't and there was something about booksmart that felt like wish fulfillment where it was like how do we make the most woke high school movie ever and we really make sure that we check off every box and we make sure that everybody is represented and it just it felt had written this when i wrote about just 17 it's just to me book smart feels like t-shirt feminism and yeah it's a I, don't, little... I, I think there's like so many sure. things about it that whatever is annoying it i just like slid off of me but i will say like i get that yeah there's it doesn't hold a candle to easy a which i think is like really good really uh, fucking and like in a movie that deals with like how insidious teenage bullying really is at the ground level well you think you 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 need that in a way you can't just make that's a that's a problem now i think is that like by trying to check all these boxes and make this very kind of woke all-inclusive high school movie 
be they're ignoring the reason that we're so in a way obsessed with with inclusivity with these days. in like a cynical way not just the base fact that we fucking need inclusivity but you know looking at it from a cynical perspective of like a studio making these movies is you're erasing the real pain of high school and i think that's what eighth grade did so well was it was real it was authentic it felt modern and updated but they didn't take away the pain and the loneliness of what mm-hmm. it's like to be a teenager because it's really lonely to be a kid and it's really it's hard and even if even if you're not unpopular it's hard it's yeah just, it's a fucking horrible time and i can't imagine how horrible it is now i think that's what a movie like dropped at gorgeous or even jawbreaker to a degree that obviously is really dark is they are reminding you of how horrible kids can be kids i are think instead cruel. of reminded you of like the pain that you feel and the loneliness you feel as a teenager i think that this movie is trying to show you just how mean teenage girl and mean and cunning yeah, mean absolutely. and smart and i think that yeah because you're right like teenage guys are stupid and they yeah they're du- horrible like, shit, like not even teenage guys like, teenage they are, are just mean. fucking dumb <laughs> girls are so smart like i know that's will, why they're better figure than out me. five different yeah 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 we're so good at it it's like oh, guys yeah. are dumb that's why like guys in movies and in real life they just punch a wall and it's yeah. like i'm not gonna fucking punch a wall first of all i'm gonna have to fix that wall and second of all like no there's so like you, you can just like play a long game oh yeah and it's so much more satisfying nothing will hold a candle to to some of the shit that the girls had said to me when i was a teenager as far as yeah. what stuck with me being 13 years old and this girl that i had a huge crush on telling me like i i you know i would like you if you didn't have a crooked front tooth i was like yeah girls are yeah i had a girl i'll never forget that <laughs> yeah her name was kelsey her name still is kelsey i've um instagram stalked her and she she would like randomly at random pull me aside in the hallways or after gym class when we were changing and tell me shitty things about my body my shoulders are too broad to ever wear a halter top i look like i'm wearing too much blush even when i'm not wearing any and i think about those things i kid you not probably fucking every day like i do not own halter tops i do not wear blush like like, i i don't do those things because yeah like when someone's fucking when someone hits you that bruise goes away but those things like fucking stay with you forever and i think that jawbreaker does a good job at, at like continually showing that and I think that like it it takes its name and it takes its like I guess murder weapon for, for like the ethos of the movie itself like there is no like soft center to it like yeah. it stays hard the whole way through and it has a lot of follow through again it's short it moves briskly and it climaxes like you said like a, like a like a prom like Carrie and yeah. it's like giving it's tipping its hat to that but instead of like her getting pig's blood thrown on her just what happens is that what she receives instead of something dumped on her is just looks of abject disgust and how that is as for that character as disgusting repugnant and repulsive as like pig's blood and I think yeah. that like that again is like such yeah. a yeah it's her fucking worst nightmare and that scene on like that whole ending is I think like so spectacular that like it doesn't need the blood it just has her performance uh, remember everything is peachy keen peachy fucking keen I think it would still do badly. Oh, for sure. I don't even think it would get made. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, no. I, I think a lot of the times when we were, like run bamboozled through the test, then we're like, oh, it would be made a little differently or this would, like, this yeah. would do super badly. And I think that Leslie Headland trying to remake Heather's proves that. It didn't do well with audiences. It did actually slightly worse than Dropped It Gorgeous. It got a D plus cinema score when it opened. It's also That's made- surprising to me too, because I could imagine teenagers going to Dropped It Gorgeous, expecting something like She's All That and being disappointed.
said, mm-hmm. to me, Jawbreaker is a movie that you kind of know what you're buying, or like I would assume that you would know what you're getting. Yeah, I think even but, as a kid, I knew it was like a dark comedy yeah. about murder. Like I very vividly remember the poster and it coming out, but I just didn't see it. Um, it also disappeared from theaters pretty quickly. Okay. I mean, it was made pretty cheap. It was made for three and a half million. Really? Uh, made for three and a half million, which is very very cheap. It's so um, pretty. It made three million at the box office. So not a. Oh, not. Horrible. And honestly, considering probably how well it's done on DVD and apparently had a huge life on cable. It did. Because uh, yeah. I remember VH, I think it was VH1, whoever showed it constantly played the clip of Rebecca Gayhart going like, it's over, Courtney. Like, and I, honestly, I, I heard it because that's I my name. it was on Comedy Central too, maybe. Okay, maybe it was maybe that. I'm maybe wrong, it was that. But I, I do remember it being on a lot and it, 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 it obviously, you know, got a life from that and it, it premiered at Sundance. It was a Sundance oh, okay. movie. It premiered at Sundance, I think right before it came out. That was like- This a, movie does lose a lot from like being on cable though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too is I can't imagine watching the cable version of this movie. The way that it lingers on the dead body a lot and returns to that image a lot, again, is sort of like Laura Palmer. It is really upsetting. Like, she's really it's bruised. Really upsetting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like I've never like, seen a real dead teenager, but it looks pretty true to life. I've seen a it's, lot of dead yeah. teenagers that look real Let's look at the critics. Um, oh, God. Obviously, it's all pretty bad. It actually, the positive reviews, I think, that it did have were a little more, more positive ex- than Drop Dead Gorgeous because I think, like you said, like the people that were defensive of it were definitely feeling more inclined to defend it. And I noticed that. Its most recent review from Screen Slate, which is last year, I'm assuming, is just kind of like a retrospective on it for the 20th anniversary. It says, Jawbreaker is a steady on the nature of the pow- power relations, a Foucauldian teen comedy that takes positions on sexuality, the criminal justice system, and body image issues. Oh yeah, that's another thing about both of these movies is the way that they effortlessly sprinkle in jokes about weight sure. are so real. And like, like when they're moving her dead body and she looks, again, so repugnant and like you don't want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're moving her dead body, I think Rose McGowan's like, Ugh, she definitely weighs more than 105 pounds. <laughs> And that's such a good that. line. Good. Yeah. Oh God, I was that's like good. thrilled. And then that they're just absolutely mortified that Violette would try to eat at lunchtime. Like yes. little yeah, things yeah, yeah. like that are just, just so, yeah, with a straw. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't exactly know how much the movie has to say about the criminal justice system. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch. But I was going to say, I, think... I don't think it has anything to say about the criminal justice system because again, they really, <laughs> they really leave the police procedural plot line behind in a way yeah. that like, I think is just fine. I do not know what the fuck they are talking about. Um, it has nothing to say about the criminal justice getting into the negative reviews which there are obviously oh plenty for my scrolling it seemed like so many of them were just mad that it wasn't heathers yeah i think everything was just basically like this movie ripped off heathers but that's uh, so unfair because if it's like a dude's movie that like is constantly ripping off like the godfather for forever like, it's just like but those are all good it's like you don't get any good. room no. <laughs> they're all good every movie that's ever referenced the godfather is good yeah most of these reviews are pretty bad though uh, the san francisco chronicle said the lowest piece of garbage to hit screens in months uh in months somebody asked if women can practice misogyny oh yeah i saw that one and that it promotes like negative stereotypes like most of the reviews really show themselves as just like sexist it's just like like no women can't practice misogyny in the same way because it's like they're in on the joke like what people don't like about this film is that like like these performers are in on the joke that you yeah. make fun of them that you think that they are maybe not rebecca gayhart but rose mcgowan and julie <laughs> are definitely in on the joke Rebe- rebecca gayhart's really in on 
the joke that she thinks she's a good person. The guy who has to deep throat a popsicle, not in on the joke, but that's no, a good but... thing. He shouldn't be in on the joke. No, he's so he's good. the Gerard Butler of the movie. <laughs> he's sincerely like, I'm going to be a star. Um, who's the MVP of Jawbreaker? I mean, Rose for me. Yeah. I just think that it's, I think it's a hard performance. I think that the movie wouldn't work without her. It, it, if it was someone even good, but like less interesting, if, if she didn't commit fully, if she wanted to be likable at all, yeah. she knows that the way for that character to sing is to have her be as atrocious as possible. She yeah. feels more like a Disney cartoon villain than like almost anything else. Sure. She's no, just totally bottomlessly right. bad. I would probably say the same. I think even though I love Julie Benz in it, I think she's my favorite performance in it. I think and there was also, probably other actresses that could have done that. I think Rose McGowan was kind of her own thing though. Uh, this movie was called Fluff a lot. And I think that like oh. the word fluff is a particular, like that's only attached to like, no one has ever called an action movie fluff. It's like, I mean, I'm sure like, they have, but it's just, really? also, it's, it's thrown, it's thrown at movies like this and horror movies in action. Anything genre related, it gets thrown out a lot. If anything, like I wish there was more things like fluff, like that are fluffy that can like blow away and like be soft and yeah, maybe sometimes forgettable. I think that movies now are forgettable because of, because of their importance, like because, because they have like, yeah, no, I agree. It's the classic thing of even the movies that, you know, when Oscars, you kind of instantly forget about even a movie recently, like I think Spotlight's a great movie. I think it's really good, but I don't think about it that much. Yeah. I never I think know. about that movie. I only think about that movie when I watch other movies that are kind of like it. So I thought about it when I watched Bad Education. Sure. And great, then I forgot I mean, about that it. Year, I think I probably, I, I probably think about Magic Mega XXL more than Spotlight. Oh, I mean, it's point. a better movie. It is. You need movies that are just trying to have fun and can do it well. Right. But I think that sometimes when like a movie is trying to have fun, but it has like such a perspective, like they ultimately make you think more because they didn't do the work for you. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's yeah. kind of like we talked about with Gamer last week. It, it's open to interpretation because it, like we said, you can, you can choose to check out or you can choose to look deeper and you can project your own thoughts onto it. And I think some of the best movies do that. Anything else about Jawbreaker? I think we covered Jawbreaker. I think we. Yeah, I love this movie. Like this was, I was like giddy coming into this because both of these movies for me, and I will say like feminist theory is something that I spent literally like two years of my life like studying. Mm -hmm. These movies like made me feel excited again. They made me like want to write more, read more. And because, because there's like, they're exuberant. They're not boring. They have something to say, but they're not telling you what to think. What's up next week? (laughs) Next week, we're going to be talking about Noah Baumbach and his two rotten movies. So yeah, we're going to be looking at Kicking and Screaming, his 1995 coming age film. Debut. Uh, He was very young when he made it. And then we're going to be looking at a movie he made 12 years later called Margot at the Wedding. I want to say that's probably his most maligned mainstream movie. Yeah, I think so. Nicole Kidman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Jack Black. Yeah. Yeah. Are these streaming if anyone's kicking and screaming? And Drop Dead Gorgeous? Everything. Okay, so Drop Dead Gorgeous, like good luck finding it. I had to torrent it. Drop Dead Gorgeous, yeah, you can, so it is no longer on Hulu, but you can probably torrent it. Not like we're condoning that. Jawbreaker, you can stream. You gotta find it. You gotta find it, you know? You have to rent and stream. Yeah. It's, it dropped it gorgeous, is um, streaming on a random site called Popcorn Flicks. I don't know what that is. I can't recommend it. (laughs) You don't work with them? Yeah. With ads. Um, Jawbreaker is available to rent on everything. iTunes, Amazon, which we suggest you don't support, but you can rent it on iTunes or Fandango, Voodoo, whatever Voodoo is. Yeah. Like keep showing up. It's like haunting me. Watch the movies, but also rate us on 
iTunes and Spotify. Can you rate things on Spotify? I think you I can give us you can give us a thumbs up. Give us a thumbs up. A thumbs up. Follow us. Follow yeah. us. Yeah, and we're on Instagram at Rotten Rewind. It's a really lively feed. Yes, and we're really cool. So please support us. We need we need more followers. Don't make us buy followers. No, that's gross. Don't make us do this again. Like I do want to do. <laughs> I think we should just like do a stunt where we go on chat roulette and try to get people to listen to the podcast who were masturbating. We gotta get them while they're vulnerable. You can get someone to agree to anything while they're masturbating. I literally asked people yesterday. I was like, "Hey, I can't help but notice that you're jacking off. Did you start jacking <laughs> off because you don't have enough content?" It was really fun. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Thank you for for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Yeah. We won't see you, but we'll. I'll see you. You're gonna. I'll see you next week on Run Bye. Bye.